Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with guitarist and singer Chance McCall and keys, organ, and singer Beth Moore of the Moore McCall Society. They get into their new 2023 CD called Up and Gone. Even though there's a strong pop rock vibe throughout the album, their jazz intentions are woven into the development of the tracks as different musical genres being seamlessly blended. Full of a 70s organ trio vibe, there is a wonderful energy that runs through this album from start to finish. We cover this project, their history, the future, and so much more. Enjoy. Hi, Chance. What's up, man? How are you? Good nice to, meet to you. see you. Hi, Beth. Hi. What's up? Um, not too much. I'm um, I'm in the middle of piano lessons, so my you might hear some piano playing in the background. I, I love ambient noise, so I'm fine. Okay. I, I embraced it during the pandemic. We were just talking about boiled peanuts. I'm in Kansas City, and when peanuts get wet in Kansas City, we throw them out. But down south, you relish it. It's a it's a delicacy. It is. Yeah, yep, boiled peanuts. My husband loves them. He's crazy about them. I, I, yeah, I enjoyed them. I had them once and and had a great time with them. So I have to tell you up front when I got your CD. So you got to figure, I, 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 I've been in jazz radio for a long time and I get a lot of CDs. You were not the cover that I expected for a jazz CD. I remember, <laughs> I remember I got in the car because I'm still the guy that listens to it in the car. Yeah, I said check this out, and my wife was like this is jazz. And I'm like, absolutely. We're going in. And so I've really enjoyed the album and I'm really excited to talk to you about how all of this came about. So before we peel back the onion layers of this union and how this happened, I want to know how did you survive the pandemic the last three and a half years? How did you get through it? And how good does it feel to have an album out now? Well, it's great because we had actually our first record, Electric Fantastic, was recorded in late 2019 and was ready to be released in spring of 2020. We had the artwork done. I think we even had the CDs and the vinyl in hand and we were ready to release it. And then COVID hit and you know, it kind of killed everything. We ended up releasing it kind of later that summer. Of course, it was all just a digital release plus vinyl mail outs but there was no opportunity to play or perform for i think until at least the next summer so it was very difficult to be constrained in that way it sort of put on hold the promotion we wanted to do the the marketing and the the actual performance-based piece so we're thrilled it's over and to be able to release music that you can then turn around and perform yeah so how did this music union begin how did you how did you get together? How did this whole uh, relationship happen? Sure. So Beth is a highly educated uh, musician. She went to Berkeley School of Music in Boston. And I actually had, uh, I also do rock and roll. And I, I was in a, I was doing a solo record. Uh, this was in 2014. And I was just hiring players to play on it. And I had a bass player and I said, I really would like somebody to come in and play keys. And he recommended Beth and we met and she came in, performed. She did organ, piano, everything I was looking for. And I was like, wow, she's really talented. And I such tasteful playing. I just really loved the notes she put in, the notes she chose not to put in. And it was just like, I want to come in one night and here's 10 songs I've never heard. I'm just going to knock this session out for you. And I was really wowed by her talent. And then later I heard uh, some original work she had done and I didn't realize what a what an incredibly talented vocalist she was as well. And then later I learned about her composition and songwriting capability. 
And so a few years passed, and then I, I think I'd approached her a couple of times, and I said, could we make a record together? Could we make a jazz record together? And then uh, the timing was just right. We both had availability. We both had ideas that we that we found interesting and wanted to perform, because both of our records, and, and even in between, we had a Christmas EP. They're kind of all over the map. It's funny, you talk about the artwork. I'll get to that kind of in a second, sort of the, the theme we were going for. So I... Uh, we got together. She had a producer that we started working with in a studio in Atlanta called 800 East and brought in session players that were still a pretty much part of the band now that we play with. So that's kind of how it was formed together. You get yeah, that's it. That's pretty much I think we were at a jam session uh, for the engineer for the first album. We were at a jam session for his birthday. And that's when Chance was like, hey, do you want to do a jazz album? And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, let me think about it. But then, yeah, we we decided. And then um, that's when the first album was done. Um, that's where the first album was done at 800 East. How did this... So talk to me a little bit about the artistic forces that went into this album and even bring up the album cover. Sure. So when we... We recorded it, we bring in sort of diverse elements, uh, and then we brought it to the mixer, a, a actually pretty well-known uh, engineer and mixer named Tom Tapley, uh, who does Blackberry Smoke and a lot of things outside of the jazz world. Uh, and this is, in fact, and he said, oh, really, what I'm hearing is you're kind of making a Stevie Wonder record. And so it's got jazz elements, but a lot of funk. It brings to me, I grew up in the 70s. I was born in, 19, in January of 1970. And so... I've always loved that organ guitar trio from the 70s where just a lot of really funky players uh, kind of expanded past jazz, almost some blues, almost some kind of rock elements, but with sort of a little dirt on top of the whole thing. And so we realized it was kind of a 70s record, um, not only the theme of the music, the uh, and so we kind of went with that route in terms of the artwork and the costume, costuming and things like that and had a lot of fun. So that's kind of the theme we were going for in terms of what we did, we were a lot more maybe collaborative on this record than the first one in the sense that we would bring in ideas we had for songs and just Beth and I would meet and jam and kind of this works, this doesn't work, let's add a new section here, this would be a great place for a trumpet solo. And even though stylistically it's covering a lot of ground, it's still a sort of rooted in kind of 70s funk, 70s jazz. And we worked with, uh, we had those, honestly, all of those clothes had not been bought for this event. Uh, it's funny, the artwork, the shirt that I'm wearing was a shirt I had bought at like a thrift store in the 80s. And I'd been waiting for a reason to wear it. <laughs> and it was kind of <laughs> perfect. It was kind of perfect for that. And I've got these kind of high heel shoes. I don't think I wore them in the photo shoot that I'd inherited, like from a grandfather that, that were really fashionable in the 70s. Uh, so it's sort of stylistically, I guess, just has always been kind of under the surface for me. And then when we worked with both the photographer and Keith Brogdon, who did the artwork, who does a lot, he's in Nashville and does, I mean, Peter Frampton, he does a lot of Nashville artists. He just had a ball with it because it kind of allowed him to play with this new palette. So we're hoping the artwork kind of grabs people and are like, what is this? This is so retro. Yeah, and it, that's what it did for me. So I'm wondering, what are you hoping the listeners get from this album? I'm hoping the listeners, and then I'll let Beth, Beth add in, is just kind of a fun, funky, groove-oriented songs. What do you think, Beth? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I like a lot of the production 
action that we did, I felt like it harkened back to those Stevie Wonder sounds. We did a lot of Wurlitzer, a lot of electric piano with a lot of phasers, you know, just kind of that Herbie Hancock um, feel. But then the, the album cover actually reminded me a lot of a band I used to listen to in college called Incognito. And I think they had a cover that was like very, very similar. And their music was kind of like, uh, I think they were a UK band. Um, very similar. It was kind of all over the map, but definitely rooted and funky. It had like a modern twist to it. Um, but, you know, just I hope it makes people feel, people our age to kind of feel, uh, you know, r- to remember um, those all that music, Steely Dan, Herbie Hancock, Stevie Wonder, all that funky music that, you know, was just, I don't know, in my musical education, that, that was all like right there. That was all like, that was, I was into it, you know, and I realized not everybody studies music, but something that makes you um, want to dance. I kind of felt like that's what we were going for. And I hope that, um, yeah, the danceable, funky stuff with a little bit of jazz in there too. Yeah. So, bringing jazz to maybe I should I want to bring jazz and funk to like the a new listener that you know likes to dance, but they don't necessarily wouldn't consider themselves a jazz person. You know, sure they wouldn't. So, yeah. So bringing uh, jazz into the mainstream, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I dig it. So what was the first live show that you saw? I mean, that's that's the in our formative memories, whether we're a musician or otherwise, oh. it's always that first show. What was the first one that blew you away? Oh gosh. You know, I actually saw Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters in nineteen in the early nineties, I think. Wow. Yeah, I was more, uh, I grew up really on rock and roll. My first show was my older sister took me to see Van Halen when I was 12. And it was like, <laughs> after that, I was like, I want to play guitar. I want to just yeah, the whole performance piece. You know, it was such a spectacle. I just, it made me really love live music. I had the advantage. She was three grades ahead of me and would bring me along to these things. And I got exposure in the 80s to lots of live music and just was really gravit- gravitated toward that experience. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 was that was a magical time when they were doing that back in the heyday for sure. So, why do you love jazz? I mean, since we're kind of jazz centric here, why do you love jazz? Well, for me, what really drives it is the ability for expression and to use sort of creative, um, almost like emotions that are outside the the typical you know, in terms of uh, expressing yourself with, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of instrumental music. A lot of, like I was talking about 70s organ, like Groove Holmes before that, Jimmy Smith, and just how expressive. Organ is one of my favorite instruments to listen to, just even though there's no key sensitivity, just how expressive they can be. Same thing with horn players. It's just, it's just, it's like putting uh, emotions uh, verbalizing emotions without words. And that's what really drew, drew me to it. I think in all of this stuff, 
what's charted out are the uh, chord progressions, the melody, but the and the, the harmony lines, but things like the solos are just how am I feeling in this moment? That's true both on the record as well as live. So the improvisational element is a big is a big key for me. It just allows me to say things in a way that I can't verbalize. Yeah, I would say uh, very similar. Um, I, I, I studied jazz in school, but I I never saw myself as uh, I'm going to be like a jazz pianist, like as a career. But still, I had all this knowledge and ex and experience playing, and I felt like I can still play jazz, and you know, maybe not be, um, you know, like virtuoso at it, but it doesn't mean you can't use those elements to express yourself. Um, and yeah, I, I really felt like we we on this album we really hit something like our strengths. Yeah. Um, didn't try to go too deep in the soloing, you know, try, trying to be too much of this or too much of that. It was just all pretty natural. We just did the best we could with what we have. And um, I feel like that was really satisfying to me. And especially with the production to get it to sound like that back in the day. Uh, the production was fun and all my, the crazy my, elements. <laughs> sorry, Beth. My formative education in jazz was in the, in the nineties, I lived in Seattle and I got okay. to play with a saxophone player named Lonnie Williams, who uh, every time I would play with him, it was just a new adventure. The same songs. I wouldn't know where he was going to go. I wouldn't know he was going to, who he was going to point to and have them play. I wouldn't know which two musicians in the band were going to play off each other. So there was just this dynamic that was defining itself in the moment. And, and I just found that so exciting. So let's say you decide to come to Kansas City to play and you have to convince people in Kansas City to come see you live. Of all the things that are going on, you're going to play at the Blue Room. How do you convince people to come see you? How would you describe it and convince them? Well, I think it's oh, highlighting man. a somewhat <laughs> under valued era of jazz which was this sort of 70s 60s and 70s organ trio even though we expand into bigger than a trio this sort of organ-based jazz um and i think also it we bring a creativity and original music that's fun to listen to fun to it has sort of a sense of humor in it so that's what i think we bring yeah i would say you know Bringing jazz to like maybe more of a lay person who, you know, a lot of times I know when I first got into started getting into jazz, I would. So we're not uh, just a standards based band. To this, so everybody standards. Says Oops, hang on, Beth. Are we are you with us? We're not a standards band. I think uh, I'm not oh, yeah. best suited for just the the most perfect cover of jazz standards. But I think that's a that's a plus in the sense that we're we could fill three hours with 80% original music. And I think there are still a lot of new original things to say in jazz that we're, that we're putting out there. I think so. I think you represent a, a really good evolution that's going on in jazz. There's a lot of 
uh, lines that are getting blurred. The Venn diagram is going off in very good directions, blending very well. So if anyone out there wants to pick up the latest album, Up and Gone, learn more about you, live shows, anything about your world, where can they go? They can go to moremccalljazz.com. That's M-O-O-R-E, McCall with an O, jazz.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our website should have links to all of our music. Everything is available digitally on all the streaming platforms. And we also have some merch, including CDs and vinyl that we could get out to folks as well. Dance, Beth, thank you so much for opening up about your your world of music, the brand new project. Best of luck with everything. Great. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Atlanta, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to both Chance and Beth for their time, energy, and story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.